Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, um, I want to chat. We're going to chat today about uh, mindfulness. Has anyone heard about that? <laughs> it's so funny. I've been thinking. I, I think I've only talked like a Sunday sit about mindfulness, like maybe one time before, um, just because it seems to be all around, and we kind of focus on on other things. But uh, yeah, I want to read a little bit from Tibetan teachers. Um, and believe it or not, Tibetan or mindfulness has been around for a long time like 2,600 years. Um, I think it's interesting where, I forget who said it was, uh, there was some big publication that said, there was an article on John Kabat-Zinn, and he said the grandfather of mindfulness. (laughs) (laughs) The great-grandfather, it's called Buddha. Uh Um, But it's it's before Buddha, right? It's just, it's, it's our own minds, and and it's in other cultures and other religions and you know, other traditions and, and Native Americans, for example, were really big on, on, on mindfulness, awareness. And there's like this modern day version of mindfulness. We talk about this a lot, you know, mindful wine drinking. I saw the other day, um, <laughs> mindfulness and wine at an actual mindfulness center. Um, so, yeah, unpack that a little bit. Um, I gave a talk at the six-day retreat here recently. I'll maybe talk a little bit about a section of that because it, it relates to it. Um, you, you know, when we're practicing something simple like breath meditation, well, just just really quickly, because I don't know the whole the whole room here. What what's that? So mindfulness is is a meditation technique, right? It's, it's a form of meditation. What separates mindfulness from? What's one the main ingredient that separates mindfulness from other meditation techniques? What's the one thing that makes it a little bit unique? Yeah. Like other meditation techniques, you're trying to get away from the present moment experience in some ways, cultivating some sort of so, uh, some sort of extra normal sensation experience. That could be an ingredient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah some, sometimes, so the the intention behind it might be a little bit different. Trying to reach some kind of state or something, and then also the subject matter might be different. Yeah. Having mm-hmm. an object to focus on versus uh, <clears throat> being aware of awareness itself. You mean other techniques have a different object? Yeah, like other techniques may have a specific object. Yeah. So this is the, the main difference. The main difference is that mindfulness takes the present moment as the object. That's the main difference. So if we look at meditation being sustained voluntary attention. So you can have sustained voluntary attention on a bunch of different things. Most of the other techniques we call like they're generated, so like there's something generated, a mantra, or something to visualize, or something like this. 
it was like something that you did you generate with your mind and then you meditate on that you know which is different than just noticing the present moment what's arising organically right so the one thing that i look at it often gets missed is you know why why are we doing this why are we doing this why are we looking or paying attention to the breath noticing when the mind wanders away or you know the mind will wander away noticing when the mind wanders away and then unhooking the mind from whatever it it was you know when it wandered away and then coming back you know to the breath so mindfulness of breath or mindfulness of body. Why are we doing that? It looks, on one hand, it just looks, you know, like this technique of bringing the mind back and we're focused, maybe concentration, things like this. But there's something about that that is allowing us to turn into and understand our mind. So something about that technique that's actually allowing us to understand more about our mind. And even deeper than that, the true nature of ourselves. So the true nature of mind, true nature of ourselves. Yeah. Just this coming and going. And so that, that true nature part of ourselves is very, very subtle. So very, very subtle. What's happening now is that our minds are so preoccupied with the intense drama-filled aspects of what's arising that that's all that we see. We can't see subtlety. Right? So just like we have um, very prominent objects, let's say, in, in, um, in the world around us, you know, and we, we have things that are more subtle, you know, things like even things in the room, like the chair and the table and, you know, what colors the room, this and that, and we have subtle things, you know, that, that you might not see right when you come into the room. The mind is like this. The mind is seeing some things and maybe it's seeing one or two percent <laughs> of what's there it's like 98 percent we don't see because the mind is is addicted to these really strong gross heavy things energized things within that are appearing in the mind the mind loves like the peak experience like if you let your mind rest let's say in meditation where is the mind going to a lot of times it's going to something that's very charged right this is why we, this is why the the hindrances of attachment and aversion are so strong craving desire sensual desire fantasy and then big aversions big worry concern this is where the mind is usually going into drama stuff high powered stuff so it can't see anything beyond that it doesn't it doesn't really notice it doesn't notice the subtle. It's not trained. It's not sensitive. It's like an instrument. There's some instruments that pick up very subtle things. The scientific instruments. I've always thought it was weird. There's an instrument that does parts per million, like on, on um, particles. Does anyone know what those are called? 
it's like it's like particles in the air, right? It could it could be it's really sensitive to, you know, how many particles of something like when they do the is is it, is it the air pollution is it good today or bad today? You know, there's actual sensitive object you know objects that are so sensitive, it could pick stuff like that up. So the other factors of the mind, the the, the hindrances, there's attachment, aversion. Worry, concern, sleepiness, all these things. The mind picks that up. The other end of the spectrum, this the seven factors are like the positive parts of the mind. The mind that's joyful, the mind that's calm, the mind that's at ease, the mind that's mindful, the mind that's curious, the mind that's, that's equanimous. At ease in, in that with equanimity that's very subtle we can't see that and so we train so we we train like this and we see it in in the progression of the actual practice so you can look at the Satipatthana Sutta and the four foundations of mindfulness where it goes from the gross into the subtle so it goes to the mindfulness of body very tangible because the mind is used to that. It's used to something heavy. Even before that, you know, there's mindfulness of inanimate objects outside of ourselves. So this is even more stable and more solid. Yeah. And then we go to mindfulness of body. And then we go mindfulness of, of feeling tones, Vedana. It's, it's getting more subtle. But it's training the mind to pay attention to what is more and more subtle as we go. And these feeling tones still relate to the body. So it's, it's getting more subtle, but it's, it's kind of like a bridge. And then we go into mindfulness of mind. So mindfulness of thoughts. Thoughts are really subtle, right? There's no substantial characteristics of a thought whatsoever. No size, shape, color, smell, taste, texture, location, anything. It's very subtle. In fact, it's very odd that we call it that that's real in a way, because it's just literally nothing there. There's just nothing, right? But we know that it's there, so it's very subtle. And then we go from that to actually what's looking at the thoughts, choiceless awareness. We look at the, we watch the watcher. This is even more subtle. And that's why we don't start there. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's the easiest thing to practice, because it's the thing that we cannot ever run away from. It's the most stable thing in existence. Awareness itself. Yet we cannot start there, because... Stuff like that is taking our attention. <laughs> but that is going off in our mind all the time. 
as soon as you close your eyes, there's a da 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 da. <laughs> look over here, look over here, look over here. Right? It's it's pulling our attention like a magnet. So there's a story. A friend of mine, Tupton Pemo, she's a, a Tibetan Buddhist nun. And she's a very incredible being. She's this very unique being. And she was invited by the Dalai Lama to participate in a very rare practice. I think they wrote a book on this. It's a very rare practice of, of living Living on the Essence is one of the names for the practice. It's a practice that they use in the Himalayas, the Tibetans use, to go for long periods of time with very little food on retreat where food is very scarce or scarce. And what they do is there's, there's certain plants um, that they get the seeds from and, and they ground up the seeds and they mix it with honey. And they do an, uh, an empowerment, they do a ritual over these little balls, I call them omanis. It's like omani bedmeo. They call them little omanis, and they do a ritual, and they just eat one a day, just one of these a day, and they can go for quite a long time. And the idea is you don't, you're not supposed to lose any weight, just eating one of these a day. If you're losing any weight, you're doing it wrong, and you you get kicked out. <laughs> and uh, Pemo was. I believe the only Westerner, because there's Tibetans, and then you know, she's, she's a Westerner um, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. But as far as I know, she was the only Westerner that didn't get kicked out. <laughs> Everyone else lost too much weight. So, like, yeah, you're not doing it right. But anyway, the point of the story is she did this for, she did this for 23 days. So for 23 days, she did this. And at the end... To break the fast from doing this practice, she broke the fast with just drinking a vegetable broth, just vegetable broth. That was the first thing. And she said, Casey, it was so incredibly flavorful, <laughs> she like, amazing, just vegetable broth. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's so much flavor. She's like, but of course, my taste buds were so, you know, didn't, lost all that sensitivity over the years from all the salt and the, the sweetness and, and the bitterness, everything that we bombard our taste buds with, right? We forgot how to taste, you know? And so, it's like that with the mind, that we cannot see the true nature, especially of the positive qualities, these positive qualities that are innate in the mind. They're innately there. We can't see it. And so by this simple practice of being awake and aware, and the thing of it is when people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing breath meditation, and I'm doing breath meditation on the tip of my nose, I'm being sensitive to the sensation of the breath passing through the soft tissue of my nose. And I've been doing it for like a week now, and I'm pretty bored. 
can I have another one? <laughs> you know, can I have another technique? Can I go to the belly? Or can I practice loving kindness and whatnot? The point is, is to be with that object until there is no object in that object. Until there's nothing there anymore. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh, if you could... If you, could, if you could look at a table and see the universe, you could see the way. Right? Like all phenomena, everything arising, paying attention to that, is going all the way back into essence, into mind. Into the very subtleties of mind. So when we're paying attention to this, we're paying attention to the very, very subtle aspects of it. So much so that there's no difference between the subject and an object. There's no difference between the watcher and what is being watched. This is how subtle. And I'll read a little something to this. It's so subtle where the meditation disappears. That's how subtle it is. And the meditator disappears. That's subtle. But it's so interesting, too, that this is so simple. Like, as, as soon as we start that act of waking up, paying attention, and then coming back, as soon as we start that, we're, like, on the train tracks going right to the destination, you know? It's just a matter of just keep going, right? Just that act of waking up. Yeah, so I brought, I brought a few things. This is... So, um... Just some commentaries. This is the the Fearless Lion's War. It's a it's a it's a beautiful book. There's a couple of translations in here from uh, Jigme Lingpa and and Longchenpa. So Longchenpa, I believe, is 1300s. So just um, I don't know if this is uh, Longchenpa or not. No, this is the translator. John Ming Dorje. Very old. The point is that this is very old. That's my point. <laughs> very old. And there's some very Tibetan words in here, but it doesn't really matter. So this is a text, Mindfulness, the Mirror of the Mind. Homage to the sovereign of self-occurring mindfulness. I am the mirror of mindfulness, clearly reflecting your conscientious mindfulness. Conscientious. Conscient. Why am I saying that wrong? Yeah, there you go. Look, Vajra friends, when you behold me, be mindful. Seeing one's guru as Guru Rinpoche, as inseparable. Pray to the three jewels, the Buddha Dharma Sangha. Look without distraction at the very essence of your mind. Mindfulness is the root of dharma. Mindfulness is the main part of the practice. Mindfulness is the stronghold of your mind. Mindfulness is the companion of self-knowing wisdom. Mindfulness is the support of Mahamudra and Mahaati. So these are like the highest techniques of saying. It's the very support of them. Mindlessness will allow negative forces to overpower you. With mindlessness, you will be swept away by laziness. That's me. 
Mindlessness creates all faults. With a mindless lack of attention, you will accomplish nothing. Mindlessness, this is my favorite line, mindlessness is like a heap of excrement. <laughs> mindlessness is like fishing in a dry riverbed. Love that. Without mindfulness, one is like a heartless corpse. <laughs> Beloved Dharma friends, be mindful. They taught a little differently back then. <laughs> By the aspiration of the holy gurus with mindfulness, may you recognize your own essence. The request to remem remember mindfulness was offered by the fallen monk. <laughs> the foolish, buck-toothed ox, known as John Myang Dorje. He wrote that himself, by the way. To his Vajra friends, possessing the Dharma eye. Love that. To his Vajra friends, possessing the Dharma eye. Those who could see the Dharma. May all beings, may all be auspicious. So don't forget about mindlessness is like a heap of excrement. <laughs> and mindlessness is like fishing in a dry riverbed. This is important to note, this piece, because you know, doing the practice without mindfulness, without tending to the waking moment, you know, we could have all the, the spiritual materialism around it and, and all this other stuff, but without actual mindfulness, right? Um, it's not going to be fruitful, yeah, if we're not tending to, to our minds. So, Sokni Rinpoche is not so old. This is Open Heart, Open Mind. Wonderful, beautiful book. One of my teachers, um, his brother Minger Rinpoche, um, very, very amazing. I have something to read from his brother here in a moment, too. But if you're looking for Tibetan teachers that speak really good English, <laughs> and which is nice, and um, just have a profound grasp of the teachings, these two are wonderful. So they have a term for for a, you know, attentive mindfulness um, in Theravada, they call it appropriate mindfulness. Appropriate mindfulness is now that I'm mindful, what am I going to do with it? It's kind of like skillful means. It's not enough really to be mindful. What are you going to do with it? This is really training and knowing what to do. What's skillful now that I'm aware, right? So he speaks to this. They call it attentive mindfulness. The term mindfulness is often cons considered a, tr a translation of the Tibetan word Jinpa, to become aware of an object, a condition, or a situation. More precisely, Jinpa is the aspect of, of consciousness that draws attention to an object. But merely being aware is not really the entire practice. Often we become aware of whatever it is that grabs our attention. Sometimes the thoughts and feelings of which we become conscious are so uncomfortable, we push them into the background of all the stuff we have to deal with within the course of daily life. We're mindful in this way a lot of the time. For example, when we gnaw at a particular challenge, like how to feed our families, pay our bills, 
or deal with a romantic relationship that has grown sour. This type of mindfulness, which might be called everyday mindfulness, is actually only the first half of a mindfulness practice. It's not enough to be aware, we have to be alert. We have to ask ourselves, when we experience discomfort, trouble, or pain, what's going on here? This is the subtle piece. You see, this is one more subtle piece, like it's aware of like, oh, I feel like this. Well, what's the cause of that? Why do I feel like this? We're looking deeper, right, in the more subtle layers. This aspect of mindfulness is known as shezhen, or shezhen, shezhen, which may be translated as knowing one's own awareness. It's the heart of mindfulness, the attentive aspect of consciousness, through which we observe the mind itself in the act of being aware of an object. While many of us may focus on our thoughts, emotions, and sensations, and so on, as we multitask throughout the day, we're rarely attentive to the mind that is aware of these experiences. We're rarely attentive to the mind that is aware of these experiences. So he's pointing to the aware of awareness. So we're aware of the object, but we're not aware of the mind that's aware. Can we see the subtle difference of that? So we're aware of the object, but we're, we're not aware of the mind that's aware. Yeah? Because the mind that's aware, aware is very subtle. The more we take a step back, the more subtle it gets. Yeah? As we move backwards and backwards. Yeah? from Gampopa. Very old. This is another old one. He knows the date of Gampopa. 11th century, I believe. Yeah? Sounds right. Sounds about right. What is an example of mindfulness? Gampopa says, those who practice should be as attentive as a frightened man carrying a jar of mustard oil who has been threatened by someone with a sword that he will be killed if he spills just one drop. They taught differently back then. <laughs> That's how attentive we should be. So this is like if you get like for here mug of like tea or coffee and they fill it up to the top and you're walking back and you're trying not to spill it. That's our version of it. <laughs> if you're at Starbucks and you fill up the thing too much and you're walking and if you spill it, you will die. <laughs> you have that much mindfulness. Rarely do we do anything with that much attentiveness. And especially, not for any length of time. We don't have that, we don't have the stability of mind. And so it's a good, this is a good time to note, you know, this, this insight aspect of the subtleties only comes when the mind is stable enough with concentration 
to look at itself for a longer period of time. Right? So the mind that does not have concentration will never get to the point of insight. This is why the concentration piece is first. Yeah? The emphasis, the effort. Right? Mindfulness is extreme, it's effortless. It's just awareing. Right? It's, it's just so easy. Right? But to unhook, but to continuously unhook the mind from that, those big, gross, subtle, I mean, not so subtle, drama-filled things to unhook the mind. And so it rests somewhere else where we want it to rest. Very difficult in the beginning. So we practice unhooking, unhooking, unhooking. Right? So that's really, in, in the beginning of a meditation practice, it's just practicing the unhooking. You sit for 10 minutes, you have crazy monkey mind for 9 minutes, you have about 60 seconds within that 10 minutes of unhooking. And you have about five seconds. Once you unhook the mind, the mind's actually on the object for about five seconds. Yeah. And this is how it is. But you're practicing unhooking, unhooking, unhooking. You know. And then you go throughout, throughout your day and you unhook all throughout your day. Driving, un unhook, right? Oh, I'm walking, unhook. Oh, I'm eating. Unhook. Oh, I'm arguing with somebody. This is really fun. Unhook. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is not so fun. Unhook. Yeah. And then it, the mind, always remember, the mind is naturally at ease. Just like a hand is naturally, when you're sleeping, the hand is naturally at ease. Yeah. You have to, folk, you have to make a fist. You have to willfully make a fist. We have to do that. You willfully grab a thought, even though it's such a habit, it doesn't feel like it. It actually feels like, like war to, to relax the mind. It's so strange. In the beginning, it's like work to let them, to, for, for non-grasping mind to appear. That's how strong the habit of grasping is. That we say meditation's hard, yet it's effortful. That's like saying, it's hard not to dig the ditch. Is it harder to dig a ditch or not dig a ditch? <laughs> but actually, with our minds, we're actually saying it's harder not, not to grab. It's harder not to do. When the mind is at rest, it's just at ease. Yeah? There's nothing. It's a great non-doing. And the cool part about this, with the, the non-effort part, the cool part is that if we look and investigate long enough, we see, we start to notice and therefore experience little moments and tastes. Oh, the mind's at ease here. I'm not doing anything. And that which was once subtle starts to not be so subtle. So that which was once subtle, but we couldn't even see before, starts to predominate, or to dominate, our attention. And we recognize there's nothing that we need to do for that to be. And again, just our relationship and, and our focus can change. And we can see this in our body, that's why it's so wonderful. Mindfulness of body. I tell people, let's say, 
where I invite people, when there's some agitation in the body, we could do this, like, if there's agitation in the body, like, is your toe agitated, for example? How's your big toe doing? Right? So we notice that our big toe is automatically calm. I mean, it's, it's at ease. Like, sometimes we have pain in the body or maybe some anxiety or something like this. But other parts of our body are at ease. So it's like this with the mind, too. And the less we focus on those really turbulent things, and the more we notice and move the intention into things that are already at ease, and there's kind of this switchover, you know, that the mind can do. That's accidents. We're not done. Um, So Minger is talking about this here, from going from the more heavy stuff to the more subtle. The practice of gently welcoming thoughts, emotions, and sensations is commonly referred to as mindfulness, a rough translation of the Tibetan term genpa, to be conscious. What we're becoming conscious of are all the subtle processes of mind and body that ordinarily escape our notice because we're focused on the big picture. The dominant aspects of experience that hijacks our attention, overwhelming us or provoking an urge to escape. Adopting a mindful approach gradually breaks down the big picture into smaller, more manageable pieces, which flash in and out of our awareness with amazing rapidity. It's a bit astonishing. In fact, to discover how shy the mind is, the mind becomes when you offer to make friends with it. It is a bit astonishing, in fact, to discover how shy the mind becomes when you offer to make friends with it. Thoughts and feelings that seem so powerful and solid vanish almost as soon as they appear, like puffs of smoke blown away by a strong wind. Like many people who begin to practice mindfulness, I found it quite difficult to observe even a tenth of what was passing through my mind. Gradually, though, the rush of impressions began to very naturally slow on their own, and as they did, I noticed several things. First, I began to see that the sense of solidity and permanence I'd attached to disturbing emotions or distracting sensations was actually an illusion. A split-second twinge of fear was replaced by the beginning of an itch, which lasted only an instant before the sight of a bird outside the window caught my attention. Then maybe somebody would cough or a question would pop up. I wonder what we're having for lunch. A second later, the, feel, the fear would come back. The itch would get stronger. Or the por person sitting in front of me in my father's meditation room would shift position. Watching these impressions come and go became almost like a game. And as the game progressed, I began to feel calmer and more confident. Without consciously it, it, intending it, I found myself becoming less scared of my thoughts and feelings, less troubled by distractions. Instead of a dark, controlling stranger, my mind was evolving into 
if not precisely a yet a friend, at least an interesting companion. That's a good goal. <laughs> Instead of befriending ourselves, hey dude, you're interesting. <laughs> interesting companion. <coughs> That's better than strong aversion, <laughs> which we have a lot now because we don't really, for the most part, most of us, we really don't like to hang out with ourselves. We'd rather hang out with Netflix. <laughs> you know, we'd rather hang out with something outside of ourselves. That's why a three-hour meditation isn't the norm for people when they wake up. You know, like, I'm going to wake up and just chill with myself for a few hours. It should seem pretty normal, right? And yet, we distract. So let's just sit for a moment with that stranger. maybe on your own just just doing a body scan and not like a traditional body scan like a meditation body scan from from your toe to the top of your head but just scanning the body with non-judgmental awareness and see if you could find at first strong sensation so this might be at the contact points <coughs> it could be some discomfort that's caused something else Not good, not bad. So the strongest sensation that you could find in the body that comes to your awareness, the most available sensation. Most noticeable. Next, can you find a sensation that's somewhere in the middle? It's noticeable, it's present, not that strong. And 
me look at the breath for this, for the sensations caused by the movement, movement of breath in the body, but just experimenting. What about the sensations that are very, very slight? And of course, sensations are coming and going, so you're just noticing that too. Doesn't need to be a consistent or constant sensation, obviously. And the sensitivity of your mindfulness heightened Notice things that are very subtle. And maybe pay particular attention to subtle sensations caused by the movement of breath. Maybe go one more step into the subtle and notice the noticer, notice the knower, the observer, that which is looking at the movement of breath. simply looking. Also called minding the mind.
and although this awareness that you're perceiving is very subtle, can you notice any qualities? And again, just experientially, and there's no right or wrong answer, any characteristics that it might embody. So, how was that? How, what did we, what did we uh, notice or not notice? How was that experience? Um, in the moving from. I guess something I feel when I realize that I'm hooked into a thought and I unhook and come back into awareness is that even if all of the muscles in my body were relaxed, that coming back into awareness, it feels like there were a lot of muscles around my eyeballs that were working as if I was looking while I was hooked into the thought. Mm, and then mm. to let go of the thought, even those last little bits of muscles in here release and it, mm. it feels like real resting. Like I could be physically very rested mm -hmm. and relaxed sitting on the cushion with my thoughts that I'm hooked into and my eyes are just, it feels like they're doing all kinds of stuff and only do I have sort of full relaxation. It's like the last part to sort of relax. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Cool. That's what it feels like. Thanks. I, um, I found as 
we were moving from one, you know, level to the next, it was easy to locate, you know, from the, you know, the more tangible and move out toward, move in toward more subtlety until I got to that last part. And then that, the ability to kind of step back from the one who's doing the knowing, that, I, I, I sense that awareness, but it, it, it's, it's, it's not at all tangible. <laughs> you know, that, that distance there, I sensed the distance, but I didn't sense, I, I, it, it seemed difficult to kind of maintain that, that notion of that idea. Okay. Yeah, and the, and we want as we do that, you could you could ask like, who, what, who or what is watching? Is can you ask? Yes. Is is that the goal and the intention? Are we trying to move toward that sort of level of consciousness through the mindful process? Is yeah, that I. We're going for. Or? Yeah, I. I don't like the word the goal. Yeah. You know because yeah. that because it, it, in only that. As soon as we we could very easily we could construct it. You know we could construct the watcher. We could make an idea about it, and really it's it's so simple that we miss it. You know so so the idea is is to go back to the very truth of ourselves, you know, be beyond what's arising within the awareness. And if we look, there's truth of the, of the thing that is there before, during, and after the stuff that we usually think we are. You know, there's, there's stuff before the thought, you know, this idea of self-identifying with, you know, I'm this or I'm that or whatever the aggregates they call them that we put ourselves together. So that which is what remains, I love Longchimpa is always like, what remains after the thought is gone? What remains? What was there before that thought happened? What is aware of that thought? And when that thought moves back into awareness, what's still there? Right? If we were our thoughts, when the thought went away, we would go away. What remains? So, so yes, it is in, in this way of moving into things that are very subtle, but I would say <coughs> the goal is to see what's true. Like without us doing anything, there's things that are true. And those things are subtle. Right? Yeah. I noticed when, um, I noticed the watcher when it's on the subtle part. Yes. I couldn't feel the watcher on the more intense parts. Are we supposed to get have the awareness to see the watcher no matter what at some point? Like whether it's noisy or whatever? Yeah, at some point you could abide as the watcher instead of again the contents of what's so let's say the watcher we can call it awareness. Yeah. yeah. So there's always awareness and then there's what's arising out of awareness and falling back into awareness. And so we actually jump out of awareness and we attach our attention and therefore kind of ourselves in a way, our beingness, to what's impermanently arising in an aware in awareness. 
and we so we kind of get diluted in that way so therefore we can't see the qualities of awareness we lose those yeah there's innate qualities in that awareness that we lose every time we do that yeah so getting our footing back to where this is our stable kind of relationship to how things are you know is is very is, is sometimes difficult but very powerful once we do because then now we have choice right because because that that other way of being is more of a habit we just jump into that but it's not conscious if you always hold on to awareness you could always play with that stuff but it's very conscious yeah because you're using yourself aware of what you're doing as soon as we lose awareness we go to sleep now man <laughs> The, the mind and the emotions could take us wherever they want. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone. That's what happened to me, like, halfway through it, pretty much. Like, I was very into it, like, and aware. Yeah. And then, like, halfway through it, I pretty much, like, think I might, like, just kind of lost the entire room, lost your voice. Yeah. Went into a thought. Didn't realize that I was in that thought until I heard the bell the... Yeah. And I was like fully in it. So I was like out of Completely, yeah. And yeah. this is why I, that's why the term is sleep. Mm -hmm. And we all did that. You know, we all did that for, I mean, everyone in this room probably did that for at least a part of the time. Yeah. And that is the quote unquote problem because we're just, we're not there for it. And therefore, there's no, no change could be had. Right, because we're not even awake. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I was drifting it out, but but when you got to that part where you said, "Watch the watcher." Yeah. And then, what characteristics does this watcher have? Yes. I I really got this this. The sense of non-judgmental, just accepting of what is, just mm -hmm. there to observe. Truly, it was weird. It was. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, it was just really like everything was okay. Mm, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything was fine. No, but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's weird. No, stop, stop it. But it's like it's like that's. <laughs> And I, I realize all the judgments on it, that's part of the mind. That's part of my mind. Yeah. But the watcher is really just like, yeah. hey, man. But if everything's okay, then we won't buy stuff. <laughs> and if we don't buy stuff... Exactly! <laughs> oh, work. What will happen? <laughs> it can't be all okay. <laughs> well, it, was, it was one of the first times I like really got in touch with that. Like... Wow. It's wonderful. It's what? It's and the, the, the cool thing is, and going back to like what's real and what's what's true and, and all that stuff, and again, like n none of this is belief-based and none of this is, is um, has anything to do with positive thinking or changing thoughts or nothing like this. Just the quality of awareness is non-judgmental because that which is looking at thought, it would take another thought to make it judgmental. So that which is looking is automatically in equanimity. So we say things like, 
you know, pay attention to whatever non-judgmentally. The non-judgmental part doesn't even need to be in there, really. Because awareness automatically is non-judgmental. What that instructions for is that when you notice that you're being judgmental, to jump back out. That means you lost it. It means to jump back, jump back out of that into awareness. Right? Awareness already is at ease. Is awareness needing anything? Is that which is looking at craving, is that craving? No. Is it pushing anything away? Does it have aversion? Is awareness like, I don't like that? Is it pushing anything away? No. Yeah. It's automatically, the things that we're seeking, they're automatically there. But except when we're falling for that craving mind that's telling us differently, we can't see it. But, but as soon as we turn inside, just we just did that for a few minutes. And Mark over there experienced, you know, moments of everything's okay without getting anything outside. And we all feel that, right? Even if he didn't get tickets to go see Sabbath, <laughs> right? Because he got a Sabbath shirt on. He missed out because they're like on tour, right, or something. He didn't get the tickets, he didn't see Ozzy, and still it was okay. Yeah. I got there um, from a very different path quite a while ago. It might be sort of helpful to people outside of the uh, Buddhist tradition, and that is to sort of, it's a more of a, a Hindu tradition, to ask the question, to concentrate meditate on the question, who are you, you know, what am I? And, you know, there's sort of a process we discover, you know, you're not your flesh, your bone, your yeah. sex, your thoughts, your whatever. And then finally you do sort of become conscious of that, watch your part. But that's a sort of a different way of phrasing the same question that might be helpful to people. Yeah, that's wonderful. Great Ram, Ramana trick or yeah. For Ramana, yeah. What am I? And it goes back to saying, if we, you know, we, it's like a mantra and say, what am I? What am I? What am I? And it's a self-inquiry. And we look and we're looking. Say, oh, it can't be that. Look at this. I'm still here. I'm still here. You know? Say, my body. You know, but who's the owner of the body? Because if we cut off the hand, we're still here. Cut off the arm, still here. Cut off the leg, we're still here. What am I? Going back. Real quick. It's time, but real quick. Um, sometimes, sometimes I feel like I fall into the trap of thinking my mindfulness is like one step short of being with awareness where I'm, um, uh, and I feel like sometimes the mainstream explanation of mindfulness also meets this definition of being mindful of what's going on, you know, not being reactive, mm-hmm. but being mindful of what's going on. You're, that's still, if you're still wedded to what's going on, like, mm-hmm. I am feeling this way and whatnot, and you <coughs> sometimes I forget that I have one more step to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even further back. Sometimes like, I fall into a bit of a trap in the, in the not con- less subtle phase of, well, this is happening and this is what's going on, mm-hmm. and, you know, feeling. That's that attentive mindfulness or appropriate mindfulness. Yeah. Is that there's a difference between just recognizing it 
and then being completely okay with it right. just as it is, which is really non-judgmental. But the only way to do that is to really be marinating in, in awareness as you're looking at that. So you're like, this sucks. And I'm aware that it sucks. Yeah. You know? And we get this a lot, saying, why is it being aware that something sucks? How is that making me feel better? Yeah. You know, because we're taking a step back and, and looking at it for when it's shifting, changing, and all this stuff, what remains when it goes away. And so we're learning more about it, even just being attentive. And then more subtle than that is that, yeah, there's some part of me now that now that I'm waking up to that, I have this sucks and that which knows it sucks. So now there's two different things, right? And we're exploring that. Now I'm just not caught up in that. You know, and you notice another part of awareness, it's extremely vast, like infinite. And we're just without it, we're we're just like that. You know. And in our little container, it could fill up super quick and we could feel we were drowning in it. You know, now with awareness, that whatever's arising is like a grain of sand on an infinite beach, you know. Now we could hold it with with the relationship now is, you know, a thousand times different. Okay, closing the eyes really quickly because we're over. Thinking of all of our brothers and sisters are these beings that we share this awareness with. All sentient beings everywhere. Wishing all of them could wake up to any part of themselves and, and doing so in any which way any religion, any teaching, any moment, uh, in any way whatsoever, they could find inner freedom, inner liberation that's not dependent upon anything outside of themselves. And that's just sustainable and reliable. We wish this upon ourselves. We wish this upon all beings. May all beings everywhere, with that exception, may they be happy and free from suffering. O Mani Pamiyom. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.